All right. Well, I want to begin um, this morning by saying thank you to Kurt. Uh, it was a, a gift um, last week to be able to go away with family for the weekend um, at a family reunion on my mom's side of the family. Uh, there's some family I hadn't seen in over 30 years that um, got to reconnect with. It was awesome. Um, so it was a blessing. This morning, we are going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, as we continue working through the book of Acts. So go ahead and turn there, Acts 2, 42 through 47. Honestly, most of you, if you have attended church for at least a, a chunk of your life, you're probably familiar with the text. If you're not familiar with the text, it's not a bad thing. It actually might be a good thing. Sometimes we get overly familiar with text to the point where we are um, numb to them. Um, we just kind of know what they say, but we don't feel uh, what they say any longer. And so that's okay if, if, this, if, if this isn't familiar to you yet. Because the truth is, this text is so very important for understanding and experiencing the life of the church. The life that is intended for the church. And so, if you're able to stand, go ahead and stand and follow along as I read the text. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Your word is truth, and we praise you for it, and we want to humbly approach it today, Lord. We, we genuinely want to give ourselves to you and to this text, Lord. And so help us, we pray. Give us ears to hear. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. In 2019, a lone gunman shot and killed 22 people at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas. Another horrific story of gun violence. And yet in the midst of that awful story, there is a story of empathy and love. Among the victims was Margie Record, a 63-year-old woman who was shopping for groceries as she did every Saturday. Margie and her husband, Antonio Basco, had no relatives and few friends in the El Paso area. Margie's children from a previous marriage lived far away. Alone and heartbroken, Basco brought flowers each day to a makeshift memorial outside the store. And he spent long hours there, often from morning until dark. Sometimes he returned at night and slept on the ground next to the memorial. Photographs show Basco's obvious distress as he slumped 
weeping at the loss of his wife, total anguish on his face. He told Salvador Perchez, who was the funeral director, about his fears, fear that he was now alone. Fear about not having a family because Margie was all that he had. And his fear that no one would attend his wife's funeral. And Perchez, the funeral director, shared a message on Facebook along with a photo of Basco at Margie's memorial site. It went viral. The message read, Mr. Antonio Basco was married for 22 years to his wife, Margie Record. He had no other family. He welcomes anyone to attend his wife's services. Let's show him and his wife some El Paso love. On the day of the visitation, more than 3,000 people showed up, some waiting hours to envelop Antonio Basco in hugs, share heartfelt condolences, and bring him gifts. At Margie's funeral, which was the last of the 22 victims' funerals, Basco entered a venue packed with 400 supporters. 700 more people waited outside in the Texas heat to express their condolences to the grieving husband. The line wrapped around the block for half a mile. Neighbors set up food and water stations for those waiting in line. One supporter flew in from San Francisco to attend the funeral of a woman she had never met. To support a widower she had never seen. Another woman drove six hours and then waited another two hours to tell Basco, who's, who, who she had never met, that she loved him and that he wasn't alone. El Paso resident Victor Perales said that he and his wife came to the funeral to give Basco a hug and let him know, we can be your family. And there were hundreds just like him. More than 900 flower arrangements and 10,000 condolence messages arrived from as far away as New Zealand, Norway, and Japan. And the GoFundMe campaign raised more than $40,000 from 1,425 donors. Antonio Basco said he had never felt so much love in his entire life. So many people put their arms around me, grieved with me, cried with me. It touched my heart. He said at the cemetery, I love you and I'm proud and I'm honored to have you all here as my family. Now, I share that story for a couple reasons. First, I share it because there are some here, likely, who are longing. Literally right now, longing for love like that. You hear the testimony of those people giving up their own plans to shower another person who was grieving with love and acceptance. And you long for that. Not only that, many, many, many more people are outside the doors of this building and the surrounding neighborhoods and city longing needing to be remembered and to be loved. 
And secondly, I share the story because this isn't the story of a church. It's not a church service. It's not a story that begins with at First Baptist Church in so-and-so or Christ Redeemer Church in so-and-so or New Hope Methodist Church and so-and-so. It's, it's not a church story. We, we may be prone to assume that those people that stepped up and showed love were church people, but that's, that's likely not the case. Many of them were likely not Christians. But here's what we do know, and we know it from the Bible and the witness of the Christians who were closest to Jesus, those who had walked with Him when He lived on earth. This should absolutely be what the church is like. There shouldn't be individuals longing to be loved and accepted in the church. It should be a place that they long to be. Because they know that they're loved well here. They know that these are the people they, they long to be with. This text in Acts 2 lays out for us a beautiful picture of what the church, grounded on the truth that Jesus died and was raised, grounded on the truth of what He lived like and what He taught us to be like and empowered by the Spirit, what that church should look like. And so let's get into the text, but, but I want to say before we do that quickly, I have a fear this morning. My fear is that we will hear these verses, and I'm saying this to myself as well, or about myself as well, that we will hear these verses and maybe even love the sermon and then change nothing about our lives or our commitment to Jesus and our commitment to each other. James chapter 1 verses 23 through 25 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So let's get into the verses. It begins with verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now listen to those words. They devoted themselves. Let, let them sink into your hearts and your mind. Consider what this was like. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
First, they devoted themselves to the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. Now, we ought to feel this verse. This isn't just determining to listen, getting themselves out of bed once a week, making it to church on time-ish, and then focusing in, trying not to be distracted by phone or whatever else, trying to focus in and, and, and make sure that they catch what the sermon was about. That's not what's happening here. They are devoted. They love the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to it. They longed for this teaching and then committed themselves to live it out. Scott McKnight points out that this teaching would have been the basics about Jesus' life and teaching and mission. Now, let's remember here, there are just over 3,000 of them now. Pentecost comes, and as the group of them are praying and worshiping together, they are filled with the Spirit, they begin to speak other languages, and people begin to gather amazed and perplexed that these people are speaking languages that they didn't know before. that happen to be the native languages, the heart languages of all of those who have come to celebrate the Feast of Weeks in Jerusalem. And then Peter stands up and preaches to them, explaining that this is exactly what was promised would happen through the prophet Joel. It's the last days. We're now in the last days. The Spirit has come, and Christ, the risen Lord, is seated at the right hand of God, and He's reigning there forever. And the people, it says, are cut to the heart and respond, what do we do? And through this, they are rescued. They are saved. And it's those people, those thousands of people, people who had come to Jerusalem or were living in Jerusalem, not knowing Jesus as their Savior, not living for Jesus, not believing that He was the Christ or that He was raised from the dead. Those people are now changed, and they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They want to know about Jesus. But also they devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, let me say here, I am briefly explaining each of these things that it says they're devoted themselves to. I am well aware I could have done a sermon this week on they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and next week on they devoted themselves to fellowship. There's a, we're keeping these together, okay? So, it's going to be a more brief description and longer sermon probably, and that's okay. But these four things are dependent on each other. They're, they aren't meant to be individual things that we tear apart. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship with one another, to this common way of life. They lived life in common. It describes the harmonious 
unity of the believers and the willingness to live life in common with others. We have a habit of, of having a time of fellowship in the midst of the service, time that we, we, we take to say hello to others, to shake hands with others. That is not what's happening here. That's not what this means. That's not to say that's bad, but this is a commitment, a devotion to the brothers and sisters in Christ. It is longing to be them. It's not needing to have a time cut out of the midst of the service because you've been with them all week long. It's them saying and thinking and believing, these are my people. These are my favorite people. And there were thousands of them. And so that fellowship happened in large gatherings in the temple together, as we see in verse 46 but also in various homes and smaller groups. Next, it says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, this is likely, it likely means the Lord's Supper. Some say that it, that it means simply having meals together, but, but it's most likely that, that that's included in the devotion to fellowship. So, yes, they were having meals together. We see that later in the text. And maybe it's Eating those meals then led to remembering the body and blood of Jesus as death and resurrection, just as, as Jesus told them to do. And we see in 1 Corinthians 11 that the Lord's Supper was celebrated in connection with ordinary, regular meals that believers shared together. This is a fulfillment and commitment a devotion to Jesus' command to remember. Remember my body broken for you. Remember my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. They devoted themselves to it. And then it says that they devoted themselves to the prayers N.T. Wright comments here, I love this, Christians are supposed to be heaven and earth people. Prayer makes no sense whatsoever unless heaven and earth are designed to be joined together and we can share in that already. The plural here, the prayers, probably refers to, is not exclusively, but probably refers to the traditional prayers that Jews re recited throughout the day. They devoted themselves. Times when they're pleading with the Lord and praising Him wholeheartedly, they devoted themselves to the prayers. We've already seen how the disciples were doing that, devoting themselves to prayer from the time of Jesus' ascension. It was through that that the Spirit came and all of this is set on course. If you consider this, thousands of new believers are persistently and continuously devoted to these activities. 
the teaching that was about Jesus. To the closeness and community he made possible. To remembering his death and resurrection. To communicating with him as a collective body of believers. They devoted themselves to these characteristics that are really characteristics of the life of Jesus. Of who he is. The one that they follow. Again, they're not meant to be separated. They devoted themselves to these things. This is why we're keeping it as one sermon instead of separating them. I think we ought to hold them together and contemplate them together. The text continues, verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I want to ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that verse? Think about it. Don't just, yes, do I believe that verse? Awe. What was the church like? Awe. Came over all of them and wonders and signs were happening before them. If we're honest, thought of the, I've thought about this a lot for my boys in particular this week. Maybe we have grown up in the church. We've done this our whole lives. It's true of me. Or we've grown up in Christian families and going to church was, was a habit or a rule, something we were expected to do. And maybe for those of us who can say that, churches has become sort of ordinary or boring. Or we might, we might clean that up and say unexciting. But imagine for a moment, Imagine Imagine a world without the astonishing teaching that Jesus died and was raised and is Lord and is King. Imagine a society where there is no fellowship like what's described in verse 42. Imagine a world without breaking bread. Imagine a world without prayer. If you lived in a world like that, and then suddenly found yourself swept away into this pattern of teaching, teaching glorious truths about a God who loves you just the way you are. He loves you and sent His Son who lived the perfect loving life and that He died and was raised back to life to prove that God loves you. 
And that God really is offering you life in Him forever. Imagine being swept up in that pattern of teaching and fellowship like you've never experienced before and breaking bread and prayer. You wouldn't at all think this is boring or just ordinary. You would be in awe. Awe of the truth of Jesus, who He was and who He is, His way of life and His love for other people, His love for you, and being empowered by the Spirit to love other people as much as you love yourself. You'd be in awe. And that's what's happening here in the early church with these thousands who have come to know Jesus, who have who've surrendered to Him and trusted in Him and devoted themselves to Him and to other people. And in the midst of that, signs and wonders are being done by the apostles, evidence that this is from God. The kinds of miracles that Jesus performed were being performed through the apostles. Now remember, we were just told by Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, that Jesus was attested to them by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through them. That's the point of these wonders and signs here too. God is attesting, proving this message to these early followers of Jesus, showing himself to them. This is the truth. Verse 44 continues, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. I wish we could grasp this because we don't want to forget the context here. We can read this as if it's a million years after what had actually just happened. This isn't Months and years after Pentecost, we're in the midst of all of this happening. The Spirit comes, Peter preaches, 3,000 are saved, and this is what they devoted themselves to. It's all happening right now. People from everywhere. Acts 2.5 says men from every nation came together. And are saved by the miraculous work of God. And the Spirit empowers the disciples of Jesus. And they, all of those people, believe and were together and had all things in common. They didn't want to be apart from each other anymore. Certainly they had differing backgrounds and different ways they were used to doing things. And living life. But those are now secondary to Christ. This is a place, a people now of love. Verse 45 And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That Love is very practical. Now, honestly, many people can be struck with a sense of anxiety about descriptions like these. 
we might even, if we really stop and ponder the text, get really honest and say, wait, what about the bootstraps? Shouldn't they, shouldn't they say something here about pulling others up by their bootstraps? Or pull themselves up by their bootstraps? But when your family, when your family, and T. writes and explains, you don't see this chair or this table or this bottle of milk or this loaf of bread as mine rather than yours. The breadwinners in the household don't see the money they bring in as theirs rather than belonging to the whole household. That's part of what it means to be family. Now, some people have taken this text and interpreted it as the church body living with some sort of shared purse where all the money is brought and put together and shared by all. That's not exactly what's happening here. That's not the picture that we are given here. It's, it's a picture of true love and care for all in the body of Christ. Those who had extra things were selling those things to be able to benefit and help those who were in need. We find out in just a, a few um, pages that some of that was extra houses and land. And they chose to sell it to give the proceeds to the needy so that they could be fed and housed. They didn't, they didn't, we find out from this text, sell the houses that they lived in because we know from this text that they continued to meet in those houses as a church. But there's genuine love for each other and concern for all in the body of Christ. They cared practically for each other. It's amazing. Amazing. You consider what we find out in chapter 4, that they were selling land. You consider what land meant to these people. You read the Old Testament and you see how important is land to these people. It represented their family. Land represented who they were, their identity, their heritage, and it was part of God's promised inheritance to them. But they see how Jesus denied himself, how he gave of himself, and they learned from him that love is ultimate, and they love their neighbor as themselves. It goes on in verses 46 and 47, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day. They had no desire to live life apart from one another. They didn't just need each other. They longed for life with others who were devoted to Christ. This is true gospel unity. And it says they were glad. Let, let that sink in. 
Because honestly, some of you may be seeing this and like, no, thank you. I mean, no. They were glad. They were glad. That phrase is so good. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Imagine. And what happened? The Lord, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It wasn't programs that attracted people. It wasn't their billboards. It wasn't their clever attacks on the world. It wasn't their talents. It was their love. It was their love. It was the way they lived their life. life. And people saw and observed, and God rescued them too. This was not boring or ordinary. It was true life in Christ. And when church becomes ordinary or boring today, we ought to revisit this with hearts engaged, praying that God would change us. Now, I want to be clear here. I said from the very beginning, I know that Acts is not prescriptive, it's descriptive. And that, I hope, is what you hear me doing here, describing this picture of the Spirit coming and rescuing and uniting hearts together. On Thursday, when I was typing this sermon, two of my Facebook memories that day popped up from eight years ago. Here's what I posted that day, eight years earlier. Quote, you know what's funny? When I go to Starbucks, which is not that often, I go to get coffee, not the gospel. What in the world does that mean? You might remember eight years ago when Christians were up in arms about Starbucks red cups. I mean, you're mad now, right? I mean, it seems ridiculous now, but Christians were so mad that Starbucks had somehow made a statement against the church because they had red solid red cups instead of more elaborate crisp Christmas cups. I posted again later that day, Dear Church, red cups are not persecution. But even if they were, we're called to rejoice, not wage some weird war. I stand by that Today, church, we are Jesus' people. That's what Christian is. We are Christ-like. We are Christ followers. We're Jesus' people. 
We need to stop. Stop waging war on the world. If we want to see people coming to Jesus, to see God rescuing people, we need to stop waging war on the world and start waging war on ourselves. Stop trying to show the world what we are against and show them who we are for. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. People are seeing Jesus. They're seeing Jesus' people, and that's a reflection to them of how beautiful Jesus is, how loving Jesus is, how kind Jesus is, how devoted Jesus is to his people. And we are called and need to devote ourselves to Jesus and to his body. Part of me wants to break off into practical ways to do that. That's my temptation in preaching. If you're not going to a life group, start going to a life group. If you're not having meals with families, start inviting people over. I'm not doing that. Because first and foremost, we need devotion. We need to be devoted to Jesus. We need Christ to empower us by the Spirit to love these things. To love them. To not recoil when we read them. To not think in some way, well, that was easier then. It might have been. I doubt it when you have people traveling from other countries (laughs) and getting saved. But it might have been. We need to love these things. To love the apostles' teaching, to love the gospel, to love fellowship, to love breaking bread together, to love praying together. And I think, I think one way to do that is to remember, to remember rightly. One of the ways that we remember is through the Lord's Supper. We do it every single week, and it can be added to the category of ordinary and boring if we're not careful with our hearts. It's it's what we're supposed to do when we take the Lord's Supper. They devoted themselves to it. It's something we devote time to each and every week. But our desire is that we would devote our hearts to it, not just our time. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to do this as the body of Christ, to take the bread and the cup. And honestly, we should be in awe, awe that Jesus lived the life that he lived, completely innocent, full of love and grace, and was killed for it. But that God raised him from the dead, and that all, any of us, anyone 
anywhere who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That God rescues them, that God gives them His Spirit, God puts His love on them. And as often as we do this, and Paul writes this, quoting Jesus, as often as we eat the bread that symbolizes His body broken for us, as often as we drink the cup that represents His blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, we are blessed to proclaim the Lord's death to each other. And maybe to some who come who don't know Him. Until He comes. It's us saying to one another and to any who would come in who don't know Him, we believe. We believe. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you and we need you, Lord. I need you. I don't want these verses to to seem so foreign. Or or like something that just happened as a fruit of Pentecost. Lord, you've put your spirit inside of each of us. And collectively, you say that we together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The spirit that unites us to the truth, unites us to one another. So Lord, we don't, we don't want to pretend that this is just history. You're alive. You're worthy. So right now, Lord, I pray for just each of us that we would Take these words seriously. That we would just dwell on them. Even this week, Lord, that we would just think on these things. That you'd help us to be devoted to you. That you really would be ultimate in our lives. That you would be king. And that you, Lord, would produce the fruit. What we're going to see as we continue through Acts, we don't want to try to manufacture this. We don't want to try to fake this. We don't, we don't want to go through the motions of this, Lord. We want you to do it so that it's real and genuine. So we ask that you'd help us, even in these next few moments, as we remember Help us to remember rightly. Help us to remember the truth. We are really, really unlovely people. Especially to someone who knows our hearts. And yet you who knows all things, our thoughts, our intentions, our heart, love us. And Jesus, you came and you proved your love for us and that while 
we were still rejecting you, hating you, far from you. You died for us. You rose from the dead. You embraced us. Just as we read earlier about the leper that you healed, that you embraced, that everyone else rejected. We're the leper, Lord. You, you accepted us. You embraced us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. And we confess. We get used to saying and hearing these things. We're prone to it, Lord. We're prone to walking away. Our hearts are prone to wandering. So we're so glad that you're holding on to us and not us holding on to you. So help us, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.